Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 602 with Robert Glazer. Robert has some excellent perspective on how to find greater clarity and accelerate your development. So you'll learn one, how to know if you're living below your potential. Two, how to clearly define your core values and purpose. And three, the small wins that lead to tremendous growth. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP602. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out the Gold Nugget email list, which provides a summary email from each guest as the episode comes out on that day, as well as access to the vault of all of these summaries. That's called the Gold Nuggets over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, here's a bit about Robert. Robert Glazer is the founder and CEO of Acceleration Partners, a global partner marketing agency and the recipient of numerous industry and company culture awards, including Glassdoor's Employees Choice Awards two years in a row. He's the author of the inspirational newsletter, Friday Forward, author of the Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller, Elevate, and of the international bestselling book, Performance Partnerships. He is a sought-after speaker by companies and organizations around the world and is the host of the Elevate podcast. Big thanks to Robert for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Robert. Robert, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me, Pete. Well, I want to dig into so much of your wisdom, but first I got to hear, you biked from London to Paris within 24 hours. First, how is this possible with water? And second, <laughs> <laughs> tell us the story. Yeah, our London team created an industry event, the fundraiser, the bike in 24 hours i get to hang out with the london team support the industry so i flew over on the first day of school so yeah you, you bike from london to the south and then we slept on a ferry for what i thought was three hours but we lost an hour so it was even even less wow. than i realized and then basically like pitch black at five in the morning we land on the other side and start biking and you wake up and you realize you're in like the middle of normandy so it, it was pretty crazy it was technically 23 because of that hour our change. We finished right oh. under the down the Champs Elysees and right under the Eiffel Tower. So it's pretty, pretty iconic finish. I had never done anything even half that amount of distance. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. And can you orient us a, a bit uh, for those who are less familiar with you in terms of the London team and the industry? Yeah. Uh, where are you situated there? Uh, so yeah, I run a company called Acceleration Partners. I founded it. It's a marketing agency, and we 
we manage uh, what's called affiliate programs, large-scale affiliate programs, so kind of digital partnerships between brands and all kinds of different publishers. And we've been expanding into Europe and I built up a, a Europe team and our, our MD in London is a big cyclist. So she had this, she had this crazy idea, but it was awesome. I mean, from a bonding standpoint, there were some people I was biking with in the middle of the night, in the middle of the morning and had some great discussions. And uh, it was actually, it was a really cool experience. It's, it, it's not something you can do without the infrastructure. So, you know, there was a company who sort of provided yeah. the the infrastructure, but it was, it was awesome. And I tell a lot of people good learning. Like I didn't really read very much. Like I'm not big on direct. I didn't really read a lot of the instructions or what we were doing until I was packing. And then I was like, crap, what, what have I signed up for? So it's good learning there. Sometimes it's better to just sign up and say yes and not, not know all the details. Because if I had read all the warnings and the things and on the rest, I would have, I would have probably scared myself out of it. Yeah, that's really true. I think in terms of if it's, I guess if you don't have to have a lot of tactical know-how, like just keep paddling or pedaling, yeah. you know, that works in terms of if there's a risk of you psyching yourself out, that uh, that might be wise. Well, very cool. Well, so let's dig into, so you make a great promotions happen and you pull that off with your book, Elevate. What's the big idea behind this one? Yeah, so Elevate came out of something called Friday Forward, which was a, a note that I started sending my team about five years ago, every Friday. It was originally called Friday Inspiration. It was just, it had tips, self-improvement. I decided to improve my morning routine and was told to read something positive. And a lot of the positive stuff I was reading was a little rainbow and unicorny. It didn't do it for me. So I decided I'd like write something that would encourage our team to kind of want to get better, do better. It wasn't about our business. And it started to get shared outside the company. I realized it because... Without your permission. Without my permission. <laughs> teammates would write back and they'd say, yeah, I did that. That's really cool. But also I shared this with my husband and he shared it with his company. And I sent it to a few mm -hmm. entrepreneurs after a conference because I said, I've been doing this with my team and, and I've gotten really great feedback and I've enjoyed doing it. And they said, yeah, well, send it, send it to us. And it was like four entrepreneurs and we'll, you know, we'll take a look. Maybe it's a great idea. And one started his own and has done until these days. And the other three, like good entrepreneurs said, this is great. We'll just send this to our teams uh, on, on Friday. And <laughs> that made me think that it might have value outside the company. So I, I, I sort of opened it up so other people could sign up for it and renamed it Friday Ford because they've been forwarding. And, you know, I'd look up five years later and there's a couple hundred thousand people in 60 countries reading it on a Friday, which is just totally crazy. That is awesome. Well, so then what are some of the, the main sort of themes and messages that yeah. are resonating so much and being useful for people here? Sorry, now I realized I failed to answer the question. So I went to write a book that was a sort of synopsis of Friday Forwards and, and, and the agent sort of pushed me to, you know, what was the story? And what happened was I I sort of, I spent some time thinking about what were we doing as a company to grow so quickly and how are we investing in our people? What had I done to really make like huge changes in my life a couple of years since I had started it? Why were these notes having an impact on all these strangers that I didn't know? And uh, all these other high performing people I saw, like what do they have in common? And it really all came down to the same thing, which is, was this concept of capacity building about how you get better and these four elements of capacity building, which are spiritual, intellectual, physical, and emotional. And I just... It, it was a framework that for me that covered all of self-improvement and showed you kind of clearly like where you, how it was connected and where you might be doing well and where you might be out of whack. So I, I like to say it's actually the, nothing in it is new itself. I just think the framework has not been presented in that way for people to understand here's how you can actually get better in service of what, what you want most. And that was, as I said, that's actually an approach we took with our team, which was how do we invest in them holistically and build their capacity 
and get them to grow along with the business rather than just trying to make them better at their jobs because their jobs would change as, as the business grew. Right. Well, ooh, there's so much in there I love. So let's just sync up on a term for a moment. When you say capacity, Yeah, I have a, a definition in mind for that. What do you mean by the word capacity? There's a long definition, but I actually think capacity is how we get better, right? That ability to, it's not one key though. It's not, it's not more. I think one of the aspects of building capacity is like getting intellectual is like getting a faster chip is that you should be able to do the right things faster and with less energy, right? It's just not, I think people correlate it with volume versus it's really more of ability. How do you, how do you increase your ability in these areas to do more, think smarter, act faster, physical capacity. We understand like that bike race. Like if I trained an hour a day for 60 days, suddenly I have the capacity to bike 170 miles, which I did not have before. All right. So it's just sort of like your ability, what you are capable of, of yeah. pulling off. And so, so that's exciting. Well then lay it on us. Then you mentioned you get an understanding of, of where you might be doing well or not so well yeah. across each of these four dimensions. And, and how do you gauge that? Like, Hey, spirituals rocking, intellectuals lagging. How do I get to that conclusion? Yeah. Well, would it help if I define them first quickly? Sure. Yeah. So, so spiritual capacity is not religious. To me, this is just your North Star. It's usually your core values or purpose. Like, what is it that you want and who are you? And, and if you don't have clarity on that, you're probably already very wobbly because you're, you may not be going in the right, you may not be wobbly. You may actually be doing a great job going in the wrong direction. So to me, that's first. Intellectual capacity is how you plan, learn, think, execute with discipline, accountability, set goals. So now we know what we want. And this is like, how do we get smarter and faster and better? In pursuit of that, physical capacity is kind of your health, well-being, competition, resilience. How does our body like hold us up in, in in this process? And then emotional is the things outside of you. So your relationships, you know, whether those drain energy or bring energy, and how you react to external events and things that that you don't control. So yeah, I think so. My example before it's probably more rare, but if someone hasn't figured out who they are and what they want, they may be considered successful, but they may be like crushing intellectual, physical, and emotional capacity in a direction or something that gives them no enjoyment, right? They, mm-hmm. they're they doing what their parents wanted them to do, what teachers or society, and they're just, they're a world-class doctor and they want to be a writer <laughs> at a house in, in in Montana and a cabin. And, and so it just doesn't provide them fulfillment. But for most people, I think you got to know your values because that drives your key decision. Then you get excited about what it is that you're going to accomplish then you want to really, you know, you pay attention to your emotional and, and physical capacity. So physical capacity is the easiest one to steeze out, out of whack. I think when we're tired, when we're stressed, you think about that, like you, you lose control of the big picture. You're not learning as much. You tend to fight and argue with everyone. So that, that's when you can see that's out of whack. And if your emotional capacity is maybe a lot of whack, you're probably on an island. You've been You've been kind of detaching yourself from the world and from other people and just trying to Go at it and you need those people in order to, to, to have the kind of success that you want to have. So I think sometimes it's easier to notice where we may feel a little bit out of whack. I mean, intellectual capacity, COVID's a great example, right? Restaurant industry, you had people shut down overnight and there were people who sort of threw up their hands and said, well, guess we can't be a restaurant. And then there are others who were like, we're going to figure out what we're going to be to keep people employed. And they learned delivery the next day and they set up meal kits and they just you know, they just dove in and, and, and said, we got to do what we got to do to keep our people in, employed. Yeah, that's great. Well, so then let's see. So so thinking about our audience and yeah. your people in terms of, of professionals, is there an area you tend to see 
more often than the others popping up as as needing some of a more of a boost than the others? Yeah, I think physical is the one that we particularly now that can easily get out out of whack on. That's like the chiropractic fix of getting back into that. Spiritual is not one you kind of fall in and out of. For most people, they just haven't done the work. If you ask most people, what are your core values? 98 out of 100 will look at you with a blank stare or maybe sputter out a word. Two of them will say, Integrity. My core values are A, B, C, and D, and my core purpose is X. And I promise you, they're on a really <laughs> definitive path. So I think a lot of people who they know it, they, they, I always say it's self discovery. They, they, know when they get into situations where their core values are violated, but they don't have the language to make those decisions and stay away from the electric fence until they cross it. And so they they make a lot of bad or, or wrong decisions on the journey. And so I, I encourage a lot of people who want to get better to make sure you figure that out, because I think it's really hard for you to live somewhere, have a relationship, have a job that's fundamentally misaligned with your core values. Well, so we've talked about values a few times and, yeah. and I, just, I love the different angles that people sort of approach it from. So could you give us some examples of, well, I guess we can hear yours in terms of yeah. purpose and values, as well as where do people, it sounds like you've done the research, 98% of people just sort of have, have nothing. That is unscientific, but yes, for most of them. We're pegging you. That's, <laughs> we're citing your name in studies mm-hmm. with the parenthesis glazer. 2020. So yeah, let's hear, like, how do you get there? And sort of how, I guess, if you have 20 values, you sort of have none. It's sort of the way I view it. Yeah. It's like if you have 20 goals, you have have none, right? And I think Brene Brown said in in one of her books that she did some research that most superstars have like one or two or three. It's a very small number. And then they have real directional power. So so lay it on us, some examples and, and how we get there. Yeah, so less is more on this. And and we've done this with our leaders at Acceleration Partners for years. I've actually, I had a hard time. I went to a pretty hardcore leadership thing. I was determined how values were important and to figure it out, but they actually didn't tell us how. And so I went through a process over a year or two and then started doing that with my team and built it out. I've actually just turned into a course that'll launch in a couple of weeks because oh, there you go. I, it's the thing I get asked most about and Elevate. There's some tips in Elevate to get you started. But my Core purpose is to share ideas that help people and organizations grow. That's why I'm on this podcast. That's why I'm writing these books. And my core values are find a better way and share it, health and vitality, self-reliance, respectful authenticity, and long-term orientation. And I think there are a couple principles to values. And there's a way I figured out kind of how to get it out of people, but they need to be definitive, right? Like things like integrity, it's like a company. If it's just generic, like they actually need to describe how you're different. Yeah. And they also can't be one word because I, I talk a little bit in the course about the core validator. And there are a couple of things on like, like what makes it a good core value. So, so you got to be able to look at it and say, I'm doing a good job with this or I'm not doing a good job with this. Almost like a report card. You got to think about the inverse value of that and it should really rub you yeah. the wrong way. And, and then also you got to, could you make a decision on it? So when someone says something like visionary, you'd say like, well, was I being visionary last month? I don't know. Did I make, <laughs> if I have a choice, did I make a visionary decision. So when I came up with long-term orientation, I realized like that was something that was really important. I was thinking about that. That's usually a really good test. Like if I have a choice of a partner, an investment or something I can think about, what is the long-term aspect of this decision? Am I thinking about the long-term have I done a good job doing that? And that counter core value, if I'm at a party, I always say, imagine the sort of 
inverse of your core value as a as as a character. And, mm-hmm. and I'm talking to short term Pete, and Pete's talking about, oh, I'm I'm making all this money on the COVID reimbursement <laughs> stuff, and I'm driving I'm driving the bus to this game, and just everything Pete is doing is like taking advantage of the short term before it mm-hmm. ends, like. I need to like get away from him as fast as I can. That's a good test. That person actually, the archetype of that person embodies the violation of my my core value. So one of the tests that we do when we're trying to see if it's a core value is we sort of tell someone to come up with that inverse person. How do you feel when you, you know, it's some people picture a relative or something. <laughs> it is, it literally, because the whole thing about a core value is it, when you violate it, it, just, you're not comfortable. Yeah. And I think, you know, integrity is, is sort of everything. When I think about values, I think my first kind of aha moment with values. It's funny, from a business perspective, my company mission is is kind of similar to yours, to discover, develop, and disseminate knowledge that transforms the experience of being alive. And I really do. I get jazzed about that. Right. And it doesn't happen very often. And when it does, these interviews don't air. Don't worry. You're going to make the cut. You're you're good. (laughs) I've 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 had a couple of these, yeah. You know what? I don't think there's... We didn't really discover anything. We didn't really develop anything. You know, this isn't really worth this. I'm just going to have to let it go. And that feels uncomfortable in terms of I'm a bit of a people pleaser, but it's necessary. Otherwise, other I would feel bad. I would feel very yucky if I created something lame yeah. and consumed people's time, which is so precious, on something that was inadequately valuable and they regretted spending that time. I regretted spending the time watching the movie Uncut Gems, personally. Someone was just talking about that yesterday, saying it was pretty dark. Didn't do it for me. But more to the point, I remember I was a senior in high school and I was in my car, just parked, eating ice cream from the custard cup in Danville. And I I came to realize that, yes, when I'm living in accordance with values, that my sort of baseline, how I feel outside of some really good news or really bad news, you know, know, is good. I've just got a kind of happy groove. And when I'm not, it's just kind of blah. And at the time, they were one words at the time. I think they were defined as integrity, service, growth, and optimality. And by integrity, I really mean is like not being sort of shady or deceptive yeah. or lying. And, and there's, many, there's many shades of dishonesty. Yeah. Like not just saying no when the answer is yes, but like, you know, what you omit and, and what you imply. What Bill Clinton said, uh, yeah, I, I did I not, did not have, pur- yeah. perjure myself, but yeah. my answers were legally accurate, but they were misleading. Correct. I was like, okay, well, you're right. There's many flavors of dishonesty here. So that's great. So in terms of the report card, I'd love it. So how do you measure or score or quantify for your kind of reporting? Or do you do check-ins? How does that work? For reporting on like... You do a report card on your on your values? Like, hey, how am I doing this month or quarter? Oh, yeah. So to me, it's actually... When I say the report card, it's, it's if I had to look back on a decision, like, could I have objectively used that as a decision point, right? And so that's why I, I kind of try to push people again. If I had time, I'd go through with you against the word like integrity. I could probably get a little more out of you on that. And you could say, did my decision to go on that podcast or not have that person on the podcast have integrity? Or there's probably some other phrase that really nails down, you know, what that is for you. So the report card is pretty binary, as you said. You're going to feel really good when you're doing things in service and you're going to feel pretty bad outside. So if you're in an environment, if you live in a place that people don't share the values, if you're in a relationship, if you're in an office environment, that's a really hard thing to work its way around. But if I have a decision, my decision to continue in Friday Forward when I didn't know what it was, I didn't know how it would make money or anything, I sort of scanned across. I'm like, is this encouraging people to be healthy? Is it is it finding a better way and sharing it with them? Is it 
encouraging self-reliance? Is it about being respectfully authentic? Is it about long-term? Yeah, it's all of those things. So I should keep going with that. And you know, that was a huge inflection point where I almost said, why am I doing this? Similarly, I think there's some other things you could look at in your life and say, wow, I'm, it's zero out of five for me. Like, I got to stop. I got to stop that. Yeah. Well, how about we just uh, let's get into it a little bit, shall we, in terms of yeah. integrity and saying, all right, we can do better than that. We can do better than that. All right. Let's do it live. See what we can do. All right. So you gave some descriptions, but I always feel like it needs a, a couple words. So when you yeah. say integrity, integrity is also really tricky because I think there's cultural implications and there's people who have different definitions of what's integral. So yeah. What, what is the core aspect of integrity? Can you think of a situation or a story where you're like, like you were saying with Clinton, but a personal one where you'd say that went against my values? Sure thing. I guess I'm thinking about times someone asked me a question and I knew what they wanted to hear. <laughs> and I, I told them a version of things that was sort of shaded in what they wanted to hear as opposed to the most factual, clear picture of a reality. Yeah. And that felt yucky. And I don't, I don't care to do that. So I I often gear people towards and not because mine is a very specific, but, but the word authenticity as a, as a modifier tends to work better than integrity. And because I think a lot of people, it's like, like mine's respectful authenticity. I said, the core value is this unique blend of and you can see this in my report cards when I'm five and you can see it in some of the things that we've done. I like being honest with people. I like being dis- direct with them, but also respectful and not in a way that is helpful and not like, there's a lot of people who are direct, who sort of don't mind hurting people or yeah. injuring them in the process. Robert, you suck. <laughs> Fix it. Versus <laughs> like, you might not have a career in this and let me figure out how I can get a career in something else. So it's important for you to be authentic, right? It sounds like it's important to your voice. Why in that case did you tell the person not what they wanted to hear? Well, I guess it's a temptation towards people pleasing. Yeah. As well as sort of maybe there's kind of opportunities yeah. that I want and yeah. and I don't want to see disappear. So you probably actually will have the rare thing, and this was very similar on my someone on my team that had you can have core values that are in conflict. And so you need to be clear about hierarchical. Oh, right? yeah. So if being authentic, and she had something very similar, like I like to please and make people feel good. And I like to be authentic. And I said to her, so what happens when, what if telling them the truth means not, you know, making them happy in the short term? And she was really clear that if push came to shove, it's the other one. So probably it's similar for you in, in terms of the verbiage, but you have one around making people happy or, or, or making them feel welcome or something like that. And usually that'll tie to something childhood, like direct experience or something maybe where you weren't welcome or your feedback wasn't welcome. But then, then that authentic piece will conflict with that sometimes a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, so, so let's, let's maybe completely shift gears in the yeah. sense of, so we talk about values and, and purpose and how that takes some, some deep reflection and, and, and work to arrive at it and get it. What, what are some of the, the, the quick wins, you know, the tips and tactics that um, can, uh, practices that can give us a, a boost to some of the other dimensions of capacity in a jiffy? Yeah. Like I said, spiritual is one that's requires some work. The other ones you can kind of make some quick wins each day. That one's kind of a, a different minute. And I do think that's a process you should go through each day. You make a list, you do that. I, in the overview in the book, I explain about how to start the list building and look for themes, but a common one in intellectual is just changing your morning routine, right? Getting up, not turning on the TV, not turning on the news, not turning on the phone, reading, 
writing, making maybe a list of the cup, top couple of things you want to do today, kind of improve your morning so that you improve your, your day. I think that's a quick win for a lot of people on intellectual capacity. If they haven't tried journaling in the morning or they haven't tried meditation or just not waking up to the kind of onslaught of everything coming at you. Physical capacity, similar to what I said before, one of my biggest hacks there, and not that people are joining gyms now, but the best investment you can make is put down 50 bucks on some event four months in the future, whether it is a 5K, a 10K, a London to Paris bike ride, because that's going to create this future commitment for you that encourages you to do the work the next couple of months. And it's actually the training and the practice, not the event that gives you most of the value. And if you're running or training or going to something that really helps build your resilience and your capacity and you're going to feel better. And then the really easy one on, on emotional capacity is this concept called a relationship dashboard. Like one of the things I talk about is the notion of these energy vampires. Like, do you have people in your life, family, business where you feel worse after spending time with them, right? You, you actually feel, feel worse and, mm. and make this list. I wouldn't leave this one on your desk necessarily. What's very this? Open. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I've done this with people. So just five names on each list. Who are the people that you need to spend less time with? This doesn't mean you need a breakup. This doesn't mean you need to have a whole thing. It just means like I'm doing the thing every four days with this person and I'm fighting it. I'm, I'm just going to slow down the cadence, remove some energy, kind of pull away from that. And who are the five people that you feel awesome when you spend more time with, you learn, it's great. And you just haven't had that time and you reallocate that and you send them an email and you set up a phone call or you set up a coffee or a beer with them, you know, outdoors. And you really just reapply that energy towards the people who are really pulling you up, not dragging you down. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, and so then I'd love to get your take then. Anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? No, I mean, that's, it's an ongoing process. I, I think the one of the things about capacity building and, and when you sort of read about it, how I describe it is, I don't think you ever master it. I think there's a shift. You get out of whack. You notice, I mean, even COVID, I've had a really hard time with physical. Both times that I've gone to launch my books about capacity building, I've burned out my physical capacity <laughs> in the name of doing that. So you don't win this. I think it's this constant recalibration just to make sure your ball is gaining momentum and rolling down the right hill for you. All right, cool. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yeah, one of my favorite quotes is, and I, I heard it in a yoga class years ago, and I uh, always gave credit to teacher in yoga class, but then I found out it was actually a pretty famous quote. But <laughs> it's, uh, how we do anything is how we do everything. Whew, yep. <laughs> I could sit with that for a while. And how about a favorite study, experiment, or bit of research? I'm fascinated with all of the research on, on cognitive dissonance. And I think it, one of the best books I've ever read in terms of real-world applicability is called Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. Uh, and it's, it's on <laughs> cognitive dissonance. And, and it actually kind of explains, I think, a lot of what's going on in society now with our entrenched positions and our sort of defense of the indefensible sometimes, which is that... One of the things they show is like when you're kind of in too deep on a position, you need an out because you don't want to believe like you're a fool. So cognitive dissonance is our inability to hold these two incongruous ideas at the same time. So one of the things that she noted in her study is that when these people come out and predict the end of the world, you know, they've done over time and all of the followers sort of follow them and then the world doesn't end and they say, oh, I got it wrong. And they pick the next date. Everyone doubles down on them. No kidding. Because it's. It's psychologically, mm. but you don't you think about it. You, you, your choices are, oh, they got it wrong and whatever versus like, oh, I was a total idiot and I was duped. 
by this yeah. person. So it's really, I actually think that, wow, that's eye opening. Everyone should study cognitive dissonance because if you're dealing with other human beings and you understand the other study from that book that I found equally as interesting was that when DNA evidence came out and they went back and let people out of prison, you know, who had been wrongfully put in jail for life, the prosecutors who are all retired, who put these people in jail, came out of retirement, doubled down and tried to prove that they were guilty even though this evidence exonerated them. And it's the same concept because they, they were saying these two ideas, like I'm not a bad person. I wouldn't have put the wrong person in jail. Therefore they have to be guilty. Right. And they, they just, that was the only way that they could reconcile that. Not that they had made a mistake, but that something was wrong with the DNA evidence. So they were going to double down and try to prove that they were guilty. Boy, that is, that's such a wake up call in terms of like our humility and, and being able to adapt and change our view and to be able to say I was wrong. <laughs> right. Is that as a human uh, species, we, we don't do that so well. Like, th- like that's eye popping that stat. I, I thought it, you know, half ish <laughs> of, of folks would say, oops, wrong guru. Oh, boy, is my face red. Uh, I guess I'll uh, go find somebody else. But no, you're saying just about everybody stuck with them. They double down. And think about this. Think about what we're seeing now with COVID-19 and globally. There's some pretty clear playbooks about what works, but how many leaders just want to make up their own thing and, and, and say that they didn't know? I mean, it, it, it's kind of fascinating how much reinvention of the wheel there is and sort of denial of reality. And I didn't know. And you say, look, call Taiwan and ask them how they have 200 cases and four deaths in a country of 25 million in their plan. Like, I just think a lot of leaders have gotten themselves stuck in this rut of wanting to think that they know the better way to do it. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I might have been the movie or documentary Fog of War, which talked about uh, like military leaders and just sort of the hard reality that you got to face up to is that um, over the course of your career, you're going to make mistakes that get people killed. Yeah. And that's the weighty responsibility that's on you there. And, and to not sort of not sugarcoat it or run from it or, yeah. or, or justify. Oof, this is, you're giving me a lot to chew on already <laughs> from a quote and a, a study. That's part of this thing called the Stockdale Paradox from Jim Collins, which is Admiral Stockdale, who survived, I think, 10 years in a labor camp and torture. And he just said he was resolute that he was going to get out and it was going to be the defining part of his life. But he was always realistic as to the, that it was going to be bad. And then it was, and everyone who didn't make it through, you know, was overly optimistic. So it was just, yeah. he always talked about the, Remaining optimistic in the long term, but but sort of accepting the brutal facts and the reality, right? And yeah, a lot of people have made mistakes in this. And, they, and, and certainly, they should make mistakes in something that's totally new. But very few have been willing to say, we made a mistake and we're switching it, or that was wrong, or you know, there's just that dissonance of, I wouldn't do that. And I think we would understand how people dealing with something they'd oh, never yeah. done anything before would make some mistakes. And I think we'd admire them all yeah. the more, you know, for their, their courage and humility and honesty and... Well, thank you. And, and how about a favorite book? I do love that book, <laughs> Mistakes from Me, but not by me. I that's the one I tend to I tend to recommend. I also I, I like I like Atlas Shrugged. I've always, I've read it twice. It's such an amazing story. If you haven't read Ayn Rand's books, like just I know some people don't agree with her philosophy, but I just think her writing and character development is amazing. And how about a favorite tool? You know, you you've got a book about uh, how to make virtual teams work. So I imagine you you've seen a lot of tools. So so lay it on us. What are some of your faves? I always love my OneNote or Evernote. I mean, it's like 
it's amazing how much if you organize something, you always go back and find it. But in the virtual world, I actually think some of this video software, asynchronous video, where you can send someone a note, reach out to them. People use it for sales and for marketing, and it's always very personable. I've even used it because the need for communication in a virtual environment goes up. And there's things you need to communicate, and it's nice to have the context of a meeting, but I don't need to get everyone on that to listen to a monologue. So sometimes I'll just record the speech I want to give or the note I want to give and just send it out to everyone to listen at their own answer. Or, or someone wrote me an email a month ago about a really complicated issue. I had been doing more of this asynchronous email. I realized that that email reply was going to take an hour yeah. and because it was like had to be delicate. I just turned on the video and I said... Hey, X, like, I, I know this is complicated, but I've been thinking about it. I really want us to do this. Here's why. Blah, blah. And it doesn't have to be clean in a video, right? But I'm not going to send an email with tons of mistakes or mm. ums or whatever. So just that five-minute video, she wrote me back. She's like, I got it. We're on the same page. And that's when I started to realize, you know, just changing some of the modalities about how we, how we communicate in that environment. Oh, totally. And from a word count perspective, I, I mean, most of us can speak about three-ish times faster than we type. Yeah, automated dictation isn't the best. So for asynchronous video, I'm loving Loom myself. Yeah. What is it that you're using? We use Loom. Vidyard is another one that's Digger? popular. And yeah, it's called Vidyard. Vidyard, uh, okay. I think V-I-D-Y-A-R-D. I might have the exact spelling or pronunciation wrong. And sometimes I'll just pop on Zoom and record. Oh, sure. But yeah, Loom, our team is has used Loom and, and, and you stand out. I mean, think about all the sales pitch emails and the stuff you get today. And I've always laughed when someone sends me a video or it's interesting or it's mm -hmm. personable. It, look, in a tough time, it is better doing something quality at a lower volume than relying on low quality, high automation. It just doesn't. Oh yeah. It's funny for about two months in the COVID, I feel like people laid off their automation and, and, and felt a little bad about it. Then they just started like throwing like, I know these are difficult times for you, but are you interested in a blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, that kind of, to, to what you were saying about the spirit and the letter of the law, like I, I know you just threw the sentence in there, but you really didn't seem very authentically like asking me how things are going for me. Yeah, totally. Very good. And a favorite habit? Favorite habits, I think journaling or a morning routine. And even for me, the Friday Ford, anything that can become that keystone habit in your life where you do it really well and it improves all of your other habits. And is there a particular nugget you share that you're, you're known for? People kind of highlight a lot in your books or tweet back to you frequently? No, I think the one thing is they just appreciate, and, and particularly in everything that's going on, focusing on the aspect of building other people up and trying to help them be better. We just have a massive, uh, and, and I just get lots of thank you notes that take the time to do that. When you think about what's going on on social media these days, it's like everyone tearing each other down. And, and just think about how much energy that takes versus if you were to go online and actually try to prop <laughs> someone up for a day and the vicious circle versus the vicarious circle. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Yeah, so I've got everything all integrated at Robert Glazer, G L A Z E R dot com. Uh, you can get the sign up for Friday Ford there, see the books, uh, join my podcast, and some other articles and interesting stuff there. Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah. I mean, I like that how you do anything is, is how you do everything. I, I think really it take the little stuff, you know, the thing you don't want to do, just do the little things better every day. And one of my favorite stories of Friday Forward is uh, Anne Marinacow, who's actually going to come to my launch party, one of the top female venture capitalists in the world. She got her big break, like, make, like as an intern in, in an engineering office, like 
her dad was always about doing everything well. Like I was going to make really good coffee, really good donuts. And, and she got asked to give a tour and the guy turned out to be the CEO of HP and he invited her to come for, for an internship. And it really like kicked off her whole career. So just always reaffirms to me, like you, you have the ability right now and what you're doing today to do a good job at it or the ripple effect or sort of mail it in and then have the ripple effect of that. Yeah. You know, I love that so much. And it reminds me of my, my mom's story. She worked at a credit union and then she noticed that the, the CEO of the credit union was vacuuming the floors after work. She's like, you know, I know how to vacuum floors. And so she volunteered to vacuum the floors and because she showed that initiative. She was just like above everybody and thus yeah. was sort of selected, groomed to be the successor. And it just shows what that can do when you, you put in that extra effort and go for excellence there. Absolutely. It's actually often the the little stuff, right? And, and that, that sort of builds our personal brand and that we're definitely living in a world of, of personal brands these days. Robert, this has been a treat. I wish you lots of luck with Elevate and all your adventures. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciated Robert's take on the values being something you could really use as decision-making criteria. And that is one indicator for whether or not it's really value and it's doing some good work, as well as the notion of it being binary in terms of your reflection and, and putting it into a report card. So great clarity because the word values gets thrown around a lot. And I think uh, Robert really brought some extra depth to it to, to make those all the more meaningful. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP602. If you haven't already, I recommend you push subscribe to catch our next guest. Liz Kislick has some pro tips on managing conflict. Hope to catch you there. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.